is the Powerful Nonsense Podcast. Learn everything you need to know to make a living outside the 9 to 5 grind and crush it at life. You'll learn from inspirational guests and in-depth discussions. Go from employee to entrepreneur and start creating a life you love and still pay the bills. So here are your hosts, Wayne Ingram and Jem Yildiz. Let's get on with the show! This podcast is sponsored by the University of Northampton, the first UK university to be awarded the Ashoka U Changemaker Campus status in recognition for their commitment to social entrepreneurship. I don't know what spending so much time with Jem is doing to me, but I tell him I've played a game of tennis. Yeah, we're doing it on a regular basis. And now, now it's a weekly thing. <laughs> you and get my <laughs> body is really not liking it. His body is telling him no, but his mind is telling him yes. <laughs> my glutes. My goodness. <laughs> He's packing some booty now. <laughs> no need for those squats. <laughs> It's quite funny, actually, because I send you that text every week and I'm just like, Wayne, tennis on this week. And you're like, oh, crap, it's become that consistent thing. <laughs> yeah, you're my accountability guy, though. You always yeah. have been. Good Kicking stuff. my ass. My, my aching, my aching ass. There's aching glutes. <laughs> uh, welcome to Powerful Nonsense. For newcomers, I am Wayne Ingram. And I am Jem Yildiz. And we are your friendly neighbourhood podcast hosts. <laughs> <laughs> and we have an interview for you today. And actually... For those that aren't newcomers, we're doing something different. We're going to give you the whole interview for this episode. We've been doing two-parters recently, and we're going to change it up a little, give you the whole interview, but we want you to let us know which you prefer. Do you prefer two-part, short, half-hour episodes, or would you prefer one whole interview, one hour long? Please let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, at pn underscore podcast. Please send us a tweet and let us know, because against popular belief, <laughs> I do not have the ability to read minds, particularly not over great distances. I'm working on it at the moment. I mean, I've Nothing's read many through. books, I've listened to many podcasts, but I am not a superhero. So, <laughs> with that out of the way, uh, we are talking to Adam. Yep. And I met Adam, actually, because I was doing some work. He also, um, he actually hires one of my best mates, so... It was um, great to get him on. And what I love about Adam's story is that he actually started his um, business as a side gig. So he did a university degree, came out, went into recruitment and then found this gap in the market and started working on it while he was in the office and then eventually left. And he's now doing this full time. So it was really great to see how he kind of made that transition. And I think he shares a lot of wisdom in there. And I really like the, especially the bits he talked about actually being like very lonely when he get, got mm -hmm. started and how important it was for him to actually start integrating with other entrepreneurs and just getting out into the office. Because, like I say, me and Wayne are lucky enough that we get to do this together, but a lot of entrepreneurs or yourself right. out there are just grinding on your own. Mm -hmm. And I think he really kind of hits home on that importance of getting around other people, especially with the similar mindsets. Yeah, it was a really nice touch on the less glorious bits of being an entrepreneur, which we hear so often about. So, we will let him tell his story in his own words. So, here is... Adam. So, Adam, welcome to the Powerful Nonsense podcast. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your business? Hi, guys. Yeah, um, and thanks for uh, thanks for inviting me on. Um, I suppose just to give you a bit of a, an insight into myself and the, the business. Uh, I, uh, I I own the sales floor. Uh, we're a sales specialist job board. Um, we've been around for about two or so years. Uh, just just under two years now, actually, and coming up to November. Um, 
called Sales Specialist Board. So we, we, we sit in their uh, online recruitment space. My personal background lies within sales recruitment. Uh, I, I graduated in 2010 from university and went straight into the recruitment world, as most people seem to do nowadays. Um, <laughs> and after doing that for a few years, I came up with the idea for the sales floor um, and thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm comfortable with my job. Everything's going, you know, fairly well, but uh, I was probably becoming a bit stale, if I'm honest. So I decided to uh, essentially uh, plant that seed was planted, and I decided eventually to to, to go ahead and leave, set up the, the sales floor, and, and and give it a bash. And uh, uh, two years on, I'm, uh, I'm I'm still there, luckily. One thing I wanted to kind of go back on is, um, you said after university. Could you tell us a bit about the degree you did and why you chose that degree at the time? Yeah, of course. I um, again, as I think the same as a lot of people when they are, you know, uh, coming to the end of, sort of sixth form and, and sort of thinking about uh, university and so on and so forth. I didn't really know exactly what I wanted to do. Uh, I'm a massive, massive sports fan, and, and I essentially thought I, I'd like to get into sports in some way or another. Um, anyone who's probably seen me try and play sport will know that I'm never going to be a, a professional athlete um <laughs> so i i decided i'd look into <laughs> i decided i'd look into trying to go into um sports journalism um uh, because i've always had that interest in that that media space as well so uh, i i did a, a journalism and media degree at uh, cardiff university um and the plan to be fair was always to go into uh, journalism after university so i did a lot of you know uh, all the work experience you could think of at various places in London throughout my time at university. I, um, I got heavily involved in the student newspaper as a sports at, at Cardiff and, and really had my mind set on it when, when I eventually graduated and did leave. But there's uh, a, a big um, barrier of entry, I think, for a lot of people in in many jobs, but also in journalism. And I think there's that expectation you have to do a lot of voluntary work uh, after you graduate to be able to get your chance there and moving to London and, and doing voluntary work for a year or two just wasn't something that, that matched up for me um, as far as being able to earn a living went so I um, I eventually ended up uh, finding an opportunity in recruitment through it through a friend who actually was leaving their role um, and and never looked back really. So where did the transition happen for you from journalism into sales then? It's a bit of a strange one, actually, and um, I, uh, uh, again, after what seemed like years of, of applying to jobs, but it was actually only a, sort of a month or so after I graduated, I um, uh, I decided I was sort of a bit fed up with sitting there and applying for jobs day after day. So I, I had a friend who had a retail sales job, um, selling beds, strangely enough, um, and offered to see if I, they could find me a position, uh, just more of a sort of a summer job, I suppose, really, to, to keep things ticking over and... Uh, um, I did that for six or so months and uh, again if I'm honest I another friend from university then, then uh, texted me one day I think he knew how pressed uh, I was becoming in the in the, in the shop front uh, having to sell bed on a daily basis and that he texted me and mentioned that he was leaving and there was a position opening up a, a company called Hayes honestly I didn't know a great deal about how the recruitment world worked but I thought actually, you know, it's it, it's going to be better than, than what I'm currently doing at the minute, and, and more enjoyable for me. So uh, again, I sort of uh, I said, yeah, absolutely, I'll I'll, I'll get a crack, and um, and again went through the interview process, and and luckily got the job. Uh, the rest is history, really. Um, when you left university, obviously a lot of people like myself, I think when I did my um, film degree, I kind of was thinking, yeah, I'm going to walk into the BBC or walk into Channel Four. 
and then that sort of depression hits where you realize nobody is giving you the opportunity um how did it feel for you or what do you feel like maybe the university could have done maybe to support you or just tell us what you was thinking at that time i think there's a there's a lot of responsibility on, on obviously university shoulders but also on, on your own shoulders as well some of my friends i think were probably very good at actually going to the tutors and speaking to them but i, I was very much a sort of typical student and that i thought ah, now nah, I'll, I'll be fine I'll, I'll find myself a job and you know i wasn't the most proactive from that point of view i i, I had a fair bit of work with the, the student as I mentioned, and I've done a couple of placements with people like the, the um, Mirror Sport in London, and, and a couple of bits of work experience here and there with people like BBC, etc. But I, I probably had that sort of thought, uh, thinking actually, and I've got all this under my belt. I sh- I'm in a good position here, but I, I probably should have done more myself. I think um, to prepare myself for that fact, and, and uh, hindsight's the, the wonderful thing. And I think if, if you were to go back and do it again, you would, you would be a lot better at doing that um maybe it's down to the university to try and drum that into to students a bit more around you know the fact that this is very competitive industry and mm-hmm. you need to prepare for what is coming next um you know that that certainly would would help if, if someone's got um easy access to somewhere like london and, and a place to to live with with parents etc and, and c- can commute in then you know that barrier to entry is, is sort of a, a lot easier i think mm-hmm. and do you think i mean you're in recruitment as well so this might um, be something that you're quite knowledgeable about but do you think there's um, an issue with lack of proactivity in um, young people I, I mean know. I know that's I a general sweeping I think, statement it, I think but... people are probably becoming a tiny better but yeah I, yeah, I, I, think it's, I think it's hard to start, have to say from a general point of view there's you know there's plenty of people that I, I would know as, as when I was, was a student that were brilliant at, at doing it and probably thinking ahead and you know, I remember hearing that some of my friends come March, April time in their final year had already got their first job lined up, um, you know, ready for when they graduated. Um, you know, others again, like myself, you know, were probably uh, a bit late at thinking about that sort of stuff and, and, you know, would still, still focused on, you know, trying to get as much drinking in as they could before they, uh, before they finished. Um, <laughs> Guilty as charged. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think it's hard to say. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily say it's, it's it's either or to be honest. Okay. Um. So obviously, when you got to that point where you was like, okay, jobs aren't turning up. I'm feeling depressed. Like, I see, my friends have already got jobs lined up. Like, then you took on that um, recruitment role. How long was it that you was in that role before you then again started feeling a bit uneasy? Or what was it that made you start thinking, okay, this isn't for me either? I think it was. It, it was about a year and a half, I'd imagine. Um, so I was there for three years in total. And if, if I'm honest, I was I was really loving the role. And um, you know, it, it, recruitment's a fantastic thing to get into in terms of the um, social aspect. There, you know, everyone, everyone there is, you know, generally speaking, of a fairly young age. There's a lot of graduates, a lot of people your your age. There's you know, very much a sort of work hard, play hard culture so you know you're going out three times a week and if i'm honest you probably still feel like you're at university a bit half the time um <laughs> there's obviously the, the hard work there as well and, and it's very cutthroat you know there's a bit of a revolving door there'd be plenty of people that would turn up and leave you know a week later and i think the, the shortest i've ever seen someone in our team was something like six or seven hours i think um <laughs> because they, they, they there was a, an immediate uh friction there between um them and and, uh, and the team manager and i think you know, it's uh, it w- it was it was great fun, but the, the the main reason really I think I became slightly disillusioned with it purely was because I, I came up with with this uh, idea for the sales floor, and once that seed was planted there, it was very hard to not only keep my mind off it but also to 
concentrate on, on you know my job and where I was going with it I I uh, I was fully focused on on you know moving forward with the sales floor and planning for that and you know that that kept me on track as far as you know wanting to motivate myself to make sure that I could have enough money to leave and set this up but eventually it came to a point where I was feeling so bored in my, my role that I just wanted to leave and get get the sales floor up and running and then where did that sort of gap or that opportunity come from? Obviously, the idea came to you. Was you seeing sort of uh, like similarities or were you seeing these sort of patterns in what people were asking for? I always, I'm, I'm always coming up with ideas for businesses. And I think 99% of them are all either completely rubbish or have already been done. I just haven't found out about them yet. Um, but uh, the sales floor was, I think, the first one that I came up with that actually seemed fairly sensible and, and, and potentially very doable as well. Um, I, uh, I uh, because of my role, I was using job boards day in day out to try and find uh, candidates for, for for clients. So I was very good at using them, and, and I knew what worked very well with them, and, and more importantly, what wasn't working very well with a lot of them. And uh, with the sales industry in particular, one of the key things that employers look at is uh, not only what industry someone's working in, but the industries that they've sold into, where, where their contacts lie. And you know, have they been selling into finance or, or pharmaceuticals, for instance? And the interesting thing for me was that I I had a job one day that a client was looking for someone who had sold into uh, tier one banks, and I sort of sat there and thought to myself, oh, it's so frustrating that with this job board, I'm not able to search for people based on the industries they've actually sold into. It'd be great if I could search for people based on whether they've sold into finance for themselves. And uh, that that was a sort of the light bulb for me, really. I thought actually this is such a simple change, but none of these other job boards seem to have done it. Um, even though there's like one or two sales specialist boards out there, they operate very much as, as, as normal job sites. Um, so that really was the spark for me, and, and that's where it sort of I sort of thought actually this is a very you know workable model, and that it's not necessarily anything brand new. But you know, the job boards are something that's fairly repeatable. Uh, you know, there's a repeatable model there that you can build on, and if you've got a slightly different uh, unique usp then uh, then certainly there's no reason why it couldn't work so that that was the spark for me really you said that you sort of always come up with ideas and stuff do you do your family have like a background in business or how did you sort of hone that skill do you feel you just kind of always can see kind of gaps or your where did that come from yeah well I, if i'm honest my, my um i've always wanted to have my own business anyway from you know from as uh, from a baby really and uh, my, my parents you know had their own business for for years as i was growing up so you know you, you see the stresses that come with it but also you see obviously the flexibility that, that comes with it as well and you never appreciate it as a kid but i think as you grow up more and more you you sort of uh, you get used to that and you sort of think actually this it's a it's a good lifestyle and general to have and i think it's uh you know if you can make it work in the right area and find the right business then uh then you can do well so i've always i suppose looked up to my parents from that point of view um and and seeing what they're, they're they, they've been able to do and they've been capable of doing um and again i, I don't know where this or the ideas thing comes from if if, if i'm honest like most of my ideas came when i was sat in the sat in the bed shop waiting for customers to come in <laughs> so, <laughs> i i I thought they'd come up with sort of again, you know, fairly mind-numbing stuff. You know, uh, most of the time, and it'd be a case of you know, trying to come up with a, a business idea that I could go and do rather than sitting in the shop and and doing that. And I came up with some fairly woeful uh, stuff. But again, you know, you, you uh, I suppose you, you kiss a lot of frogs, as it were, and you eventually find something that, that works. Mm-hmm. I think 
I mean, did you find when you were working uh, in the shop, um, actually it sounds like it was quite a quiet place, <laughs> um, did you find that the sort of quiet periods you were kind of, um, how can I say this, kind of going through um, almost like a self-development journey in your head of just battling the demons a little bit sometimes... Did you ever? Because I've I've got a similar job where it's very quiet, and I find that I kind of get into a, like this meditative state sometimes. Uh, did you kind of it's, have an experience with that? Uh, it's really it's really tough thing to um, in a very strange way. I mean, it, there was nothing wrong with the job necessarily. I actually enjoyed it, and you know, it was still even though it was a retail job, you know, there was still the opportunity to earn commission and etc. But the the sort of stuff we were selling was fairly. If you can get high end beds, it was fairly high end. Right. so um you know there was four four of us on the shop floor and um, during the week we might on a weekday we might be lucky to get two or three customers in for, you know each day you know weekends were different but you know it was very much a case of you know as soon as a customer walks in there's four people jumping over beds and running <laughs> towards them to try and just just to try and have a conversation with someone and 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 make the day go go quicker so you know a lot of the time you you are sat there behind either behind the desk or you know walking around the shop again you know, driving yourself a bit crazy and you you get a lot of time whilst doing that to collect your thoughts and think and try and decide you know where are you going what do you want to do um with yourself and 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 so on and so forth and um you know recruitment never even crossed my mind if i'm honest you know when i was trying to think about what to do um that was just an opportunity that that sort of read itself uh you know out, out of the blue but um yeah you, you do you do get a lot of chances to sort of collect your thoughts um, you mentioned that obviously your parents were into business. I'm not too sure what their business was, but were there some sort of traits or things they told you that kind of really stood out for you going into sort of looking to start your own business? Um, I think, I mean, I'm not even going to try and start to explain what the uh, the, the business is. My, my dad still, uh, my dad still uh, runs it. He sort of he sold the business in fact and sort of has, has reset it uh, up an identical business since um, and is sort of starting again. Um, so he's he's been uh, to be fair they've both been sort of a fairly big part of um advice for me when i came to set up uh, uh the sales floor um certainly my mum uh who just looked after sort of more the financial side of the business when we were young has been you know, played a part there and my dad was, has been very useful from a sort of a, a sales and uh sort of client acquisition um type of basis as well in the in the early days but i i think you know i always saw you know certainly you know a lot of hard work that they they, they were having to put into like the fact that the, the lifestyles there, you know, they they were both working constantly, um, traveling around constantly, and you know, it, we didn't necessarily have that um, typical family life. I don't think that, that a lot of people have. I know loads of uh, friends who you know used, are used to having family holidays. I, I I can't remember a single family holiday that we ever had. Um, certainly, abroad, we might have had the odd weekend away somewhere, but we weren't the sort of family that would really get time to do that because both of them had ties to that business and, and both of them found it very very hard to to take time off i think so you know, there, there's a lot of traits there that i think i saw growing up you know where i thought actually you know it, yeah it, there can be a good lifestyle in general but there's also a lot of hard work that needs to be put in but it wasn't something that i think necessarily puts you off if you are intent on on doing that i, I think it's not necessarily a deal breaker I guess this always shows you that you need to sort of make some sacrifices in areas of your life, but then you probably also took a balance from that and thought, well, I know how hard they work. There are ways that I can obviously 
make available because obviously you don't want to be working com- completely full out yourself if, if there's something you want to offer your family in the future holidays that might be something you think well actually I want to factor that into my business yeah I think it's, it's definitely important to you know a, a, anyone who sort of does it and uh, you know knows that it's important to try and take time off I, I, I struggle uh, with it now my, my, myself even but I think it becomes even harder when, when you're a couple and you um you know you're both tied into the business that, that must make it even harder to, to have to go and do that um because you know you, you're taking you know all the owners out of the business rather than just just one so uh, again that, that that probably does make it trickier but you, you do sort of remind yourself of this stuff i think as you as you are you know growing your own business you sort of actually have to think actually it's, it's about finding a balance um as well do you think people, um, particularly uh, young entrepreneurs, underestimate the amount of work that it takes? And also, uh, sort of, what sort of things do you actively do to try and maintain that balance? Yeah, I think it's. Um, I think that it's very easy to underestimate the, the the work that you need to put in. Some some people make it look really easy, I think, and, and some people, you know, do, do do struggle with it a bit more. And I've I've spoken to a lot of people who um, haven't have probably underestimated it and have gone in, in, into it a bit too relaxed and, and for that reason haven't necessarily might have might have started off well but haven't necessarily been able to take it to that, that next level and, and keep keep it up um, I think that you, you, that there needs to be that uh, appreciation from both sides as I say I think a lot of people look at that um, sort of lifestyle and think yeah this is great I'll, I'll be my own boss I'll leave the office at 2 o'clock and, and you know we'll, we'll, do whatever I want but I think and I think that's all very well and good as long as you make sure that you, you are you know taking the business somewhere and and and, and building it because it, it's it's the sort of thing that will peter out after some time if you're not constantly trying to push forward and make, make yourself more money and, and build build it into a business uh, um you know I think that's really key I think that the motivation for me was I am um, you know have, having only really ever done a sales role and, and, and I wouldn't necessarily class myself as a traditional salesperson but all I've really been used to is being, being able to pick up the phone and call people and sell and um, you know for me that's the thing that you know was still getting me out of bed at you know 5-6am every morning was was the pressure of thinking okay I've, I've set up my own business with you know my own um, savings there's not a huge amount there you know I can't sit on hundreds of thousands of pounds in the bank I, I need to be making profit from from month one and, and making sure i'm or at least breaking even for month one and, and and selling so you know there was you know plenty of people saying to me you know oh, well, surely you can just take a day off and, and just chill at home and it, it's not like that you, you've got to you know particularly do what i was trying to do you, you have to be getting out of bed and, and you know selling as much as you can and, and not stopping until you know and, until you you have got that safety net there before we go into sort of how you got the business off the ground, I was just wanting to get your opinion. Obviously, you were working in recruitment, and I know a lot mm. of business advice says, like, if you want to create a business, it's good to kind of go into a business that's doing something similar just so you can kind of pick up the skills and the traits. Or kind of like you said, you felt like you was doing a bit of your research while you was at the company. How important was it that mm. you kind of worked in that industry before you decided to sort of branch out into your own business? I think it's I think it's really important. I don't necessarily think it's something that uh, has to be the case. If you know, if, if someone you know is 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 considering setting some, uh, up a business that's outside of their industry, I think it just means that they need to probably do a bit more due diligence and, and research. I think having an understanding of the recruitment world, having an understanding of 
people who use job boards as as, as a client, but also um, you know the, the pros and cons of, of what's already out there. I think that that goes a long way. I've you know through doing this, I've met someone else who set up a job board in in a different field, but you know exactly the same time as me, and he's in a very different situation and I think he's got a lot more money behind him to uh, to um, take a bit more time to, 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 to get up and running as far as revenue goes but I think he's struggled a lot um, because he doesn't have a, a, you know, a, any understanding about the recruitment world or job boards it was more so a sort of a side idea that he had and you know he's really struggled to, you know, which he, he'd admit himself with regards to getting to grips with that and it's meant that he's had to look further afield in terms of bringing experience Experience into the company of someone who understands that world. Um, you know, it's not something I necessarily have to do myself. Luckily, because I, I I'm the one with that experience. But you know, at the same time, I I guess I'd have to draw from other areas to to find experience that I don't have. You said um, when we met up, you said that you're sort of a, a self-proclaimed um, non-techie person. Like, how was that kind of thinking? Well, I'm going to create a business which is going to rely on a lot of online or literally getting a website built or getting software made, which you've actually gone done. How did you approach that? Uh, not very well. <laughs> um, if I'm honest, there wasn't really that realization there. I think I think I underestimated how how much obviously technology and, and you know the, the, the online world would would be part of it. That, that sounds really stupid, given I was setting up a website. Um, but <laughs> I, was I was still so confident on on the fact that okay I, I'm I'm capable of picking up the phone, selling the concept of a job board to a client, you know the the, the benefits of it because I'm just I have that appreciation of how much companies spend on recruitment agencies, um, you know thousands and thousands and thousands of pounds, you know having a a solution for a company that you know they could provide them with a hire you know for a, for a few hundred pounds, you know, seemed logical. So I was always confident that I could pick up the phone and call people. And I thought, well, you know, the, the technology piece in the website will, will build itself almost in, in terms of, you know, that side of things. And that was uh, very, very naive of me um, from that point of view. I think I had a lot of help, you know, through uh, mutual friends. I, I found uh, a web designer um, who, I, who I met quite a few times. And, and you know, uh, whilst I was still at Hayes and we, we spent, a long time designing the site and um, that was then outsourced to india um to, to get it built so from my point of view i thought well this is this is great i'm not having to do you know i'm giving some direction in terms of what i want and and these guys are building it and once it's built it'll be fine and, and again there was that naivety there in terms of realizing actually this, this is my product this is an online business and, and if i'm going to make it work you you can't just rely purely on on something you know, having people there who can bash the phone and call people it needs to actually grow as a as an online site um, and needs to offer a bit more than that so that's if I'm honest something that I haven't been or wasn't so good at um, for a period of time but there's a big sort of very steep learning curve to be to be had there as well we interrupt this broadcast of powerful nonsense to talk about our sponsors for the show first of all we've got to thank the University of Northampton who've been sponsoring us for quite a while uh, thank you to them for our support um, if you are looking to go to university and you're thinking about setting up your own side gig as well, your own business, then I'd say Northampton's probably the place to go. Uh, they specialise in social entrepreneurship as well, so it's all about business with a social impact as well and good conscience. So check them out, northampton.ac.uk. So also, we've teamed up with Fiverr. Now, if you don't know what Fiverr is, it's like a creative marketplace where you can kind of like 
pay people a small sum of money just to maybe write a blog post on your behalf, design a blog header, design an Instagram image or whatever. Infographics, all that sort of stuff. Even jingles for your podcast if you're deciding you want to compete with us. (laughs) Prices literally start at a fiver. That's why it's called Fiverr. And $5. So if you're in the UK, that's what, like three quid, Mm -hmm. which is pretty good. Sometimes they'll up it, but as a starting point, think five pounds. Head over to Fiverr.com. That's Fiverr with two R's on the end. F-I-V-E-R-R.com. And when you get to your... Checkout. Checkout. That's the word I was after. You enter in the little coupon code PN Podcast, and we'll give you 20% off. How good are we? Decent. See, you tune in, we give you 20% off Fiverr. So with that out of the way, let's go back to the show. Could you talk a little bit about like outsourcing? Because a lot of people sort of say, well, look, you don't need these skills. You want to create a business online, then you can just easily outsource to India, get someone to quickly, cheaply put it together. What was your experience with sort of outsourcing stuff to like, say, India, which is what you did? Um, pretty terrible at times, if I'm honest. <laughs> I think, you know, it, it, again, it, it's it's all down to the, the individuals you, you find. Um, I... Um, it, it also comes down to an individual's budget, I think. You know, I, I, again, I was working on a bit of a shoestring. So, you know, whilst it would be, it's very easy to find web developers over in, in the UK. To, you know, I could find a web developer in London who could do this for me and, you know, pay a lot of money to, to get it done. And it would probably be done very quickly and, and to a very high standard. But I didn't have the funds at the time to, to invest in that. So you, you make do with what you have. And um, again, because of my lack of understanding really around that, I, 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 uh, we were pointed in the direction of a, a preferred partner, as it were, um, to the to the CMS uh, software that we 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 purchased. Um, so they they supposedly obviously were in a position whereby they understood, you know, the product, how to work with it, how to, to how to um, customize it, and so on and so forth. And I think at first it all seems you know very easy because again I wasn't having to necessarily get down and do with it but we ran into some really big problems um in that there was massive language barriers there and, and these guys would for instance they you know they would refuse to to talk to you over skype so my poor web designer was having to send them long snag lists as it were to to, to do for the site um we'd have to give them a week to change it um so that they've, they've got that time period to, to 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 get through it all but then we'd sit down a week later you know um Having having left work at Hayes at eight o'clock and tired and 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 you know a bit tetchy and then you'd get round to your web designer's house and you know, look at this snag list and you know you're left with the odd word next to each request saying either maybe yes no uh, you know very little uh, description put next to it and and so you then have to then send back another snag list or, or you know ask some questions around it and wait another week and what what should have probably been a, you know, a few month turnaround you know resulted in it actually being. Uh, over a year um, to get the actual website in a place where I was ready to to leave, and, and that just added to my frustrations in my current job because um, you know, at, at the time I think it was it was coming up to December. I was uh, I had a, a month's holiday um, planned in Australia, uh, which was my last sort of hurrah uh, in terms of mm-hmm. having a bit of a break. And I was told by the time you get back in January the website will be ready we'll have to do a bit of testing etc and, and just you know go through it but the website will be all there and ready so I, I come back from Australia um, and um, would you believe it it's, it was actually not until October later that year that I was in a position whereby I could hand in my notice and, and, and finally leave so it, it took a very very long time to to, to come around and it was a, a bit of a headache so if you could have gone back <laughs> yeah 
2020 hindsight, um, obviously you had a shoestring budget, so that that obviously had in many constraints and limits to what you could do. But with that in mind, what would you have done different? It is worth mentioning there was one positive to that, which was completely unplanned. But um, <laughs> had I left in the January uh, to set up to set up the the company, I wouldn't I wouldn't really have had enough commission behind me in terms of savings to to probably make this work. The fact that I waited around for another year gave me a lot of time to to make a lot more money and, and save up a lot more for myself. So in hindsight, if I had have left that early, it might not have even worked out. Um, but I think, you know, gen- generally speaking, I think the, the if I were to go back and do it again, I think, uh, and you hear this a lot, I think it would have been wiser for me to try and find myself a business partner um, who uh, had some specific skills in, in, in that space, someone who is prepared to build the product you know, for, for a long-term win. Um, and it means you've got absolute minimal um, outgoings as well then because that person is going to build it for free and, and, and do everything for free because there is that long-term game there for, for for you and I think if you haven't got that budget there to be able to outsource it to someone in London you know as a freelancer um, then that's probably a very good route for you to go down it, there, there's obviously potential issues there and it you know going into business with someone you, you may or may not know very well but you know it's worth taking the time to try and find someone that you can build that relationship with and and, and, and move forward with as well and um, if you haven't got the money to to pay someone to, to to go and do it i think and how did it feel when you finally in october got to hand in that sort of i'm, I'm leaving that resignation form and what was your sort of first week thinking okay i own my own business now oh it was amazing i think it was um yeah, I've been getting again. It got to the point where I was sort of turning up to work every day and just genuinely feeling, you know, at the bottom of, you know, in terms of emotions. Just I just couldn't take it anymore. Sort of having to trudge into work. I think everyone's probably felt it in some some way or another. But I, uh, it, I, the 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 idea of being able to hand in my notice was sort of getting me through. And you know, I think I went. It was quite tough. I, I was actually really very very good friends with my manager at the time and and uh you know it was it'd been the two of us in terms of uh consistent people in the team for a couple of years and i sort of there was that personal uh guilt that i felt i think where where whereby i thought actually i'm i'm, I'm leaving on leaving him on his own here and uh you know uh, it's going to be sort of a quite a tough thing to do but i you know i didn't really look back i was by the time i did it i was you know ready to go and um and, and, and more than happy with what i achieved there and looking forward to what i was going to go and do so i think the tough thing for me was probably getting used to uh, a completely different way of working. Hayes, for anyone who knows Hayes, is, is a huge, it's probably, the, I think, maybe the biggest recruitment business in the world, potentially, or certainly in terms of specialist recruiters. And, um, you know, we had 400 consultants in our office that would go out drinking three times a week. And all of a sudden, you know, even though there was that excitement there from running my own business, you know, come, come the next Monday morning, I was sat in my flat at the dining room table with my laptop, um, you know, just myself and 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 my my mobile phone, and you know, there wasn't that culture there with you know seeing other people and speaking to other people, and and that you know within the first year sort of became quite a tough thing for me to get used to. And how did you sort of come over get over that then? Because I know I felt the same when I left my job, and you're kind of sitting at home, and you might be like editing videos or doing something. You kind of like you can't take that time where you used to sort of say, "I'm going to go grab a cup of tea and meet people in the in the kitchen and have a little chin wag and then come back to your desk." So, how did you get over that? You, you sort of you start talking to yourself. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, oh, that's not just me. And, and you know, <laughs> no, no. And I think you start relying on. It's the moment you suddenly realise you're really fed up with your Spotify playlist. I think I've sort of been listening to the same songs every day, you know, day in day out. And 
Um, I think it it went to waves. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, once you once you start listening to the really depressing stuff, then then it's uh, then it gets bad. Um, (laughs) But I think it's um, you know I went through waves. I think the first one was fine because you've got that that adrenaline there, and you're sort of you know all your focus on is is everything's brand new to you and i think after that first month you know i suddenly realized okay it's you know it's friday afternoon it's four o'clock normally i'd be you know stood in the office with 400 other people drinking beers and you know going through the you know uh, you know the month end or whatever it might be and then going out afterwards and you know what whereas usually you'd meet up with your friends or go out on a friday afternoon and suddenly you've got no one to go out with and you know you text people and they're all out with their own work friends so you've, you've got you, you spend your friday evenings in a very different way and so that 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 obviously became very tricky and um i think you know up until about nine months in or so i'd, I'd been working from home and, and i think it, it it has personal effects as well and it's again i sort of think back to you know the, the parents growing up and sort of seeing the effects it had on, on on them trying to separate their work and their personal lives and when you're working from home in a one-bed flat you know with no separate office it becomes very difficult to do that because my, my girlfriend was coming home after work and um because i'd had no social interaction on Day. I was almost sitting at the front door like a like a dog waiting to waiting for their owners to come home. And there, yeah, there's me desperate to, to you know talk or go out for a drink, and there's her poor thing sort of wait you know desperate just to sit on the sofa and watch some TV. And um, you know that that certainly causes problems if you're not careful. And I think um, luckily we to try and overcome that. I think we 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 committed to sort of moving into a bigger flat, so I had a separate room for an office, so that I could at least try and separate my you know my my work life and my personal life and you know at the end of the day be able to close that that door and it, it, it's it's unbelievable the sort of the difference that that makes but uh i think the biggest thing for me was you know making that commitment to to moving into a, a shared office i you know after about nine months or so i was in a position whereby i thought actually things are going well to take it to that next level i think i need to look at finding a salesperson to bring on board and and and, and to do that you have to be in, a, in an office ideally because there's no way they're coming around to my flat to, to sit on my bed and work next to me all, all day so you know i think it, that that made a big difference was moving into a, a shared office space in, in london and um, and having not only one other person to to interact with but a couple of other companies in there that, that are probably going through very similar um you know thing things to to myself and what were the advantages of having the other businesses in that same office i think the, the biggest thing i took from that was finding out about all these new tools and uh, uh, uh products etc that I, I could use to, to help grow my business i again um as i've uh professed as jim I'm, I'm 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 not the most tech savvy person I, I probably didn't always have my finger on the pulse as to you know new tools that are out there for for businesses and i'm guessing a lot better but sitting there and listening to other businesses talk about what they use for either you know email automation and email marketing or um you know content marketing or whatever the case may be you sort of pick up these little things and you think actually but that sounds like something that could be really really useful for me and you know for me as a, a business for instance you know to look back on how i used to try and generate new business in terms of you know manually emailing 50 to 80 people a day to, to now being able to do it at a click of a button i sort of i almost want to slap myself for having been stupid enough to do it to do it manually for that long but you sort of you also laugh at a laugh at it a tiny bit and and i think it's um you know it, that 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 process was great actually getting yourself out to to sit with other businesses who you know we we gave them plenty of um tips and ideas i hope you know in terms of how how, how they could probably help help 
by their own business and they certainly gave us a lot in terms of really helping us to to uh, to overcome that so just being able to share those ideas and and and, and get a feel for what other people are going through is, is, is invaluable really yeah i think that's some great advice yeah and what was the biggest game-changing tool that you discovered from this office the, the biggest one which we still use is one called um uh, outreach uh they're a u.s uh business it's a email uh automation tool and it's just amazing like i say in the early days i was you know generating my own leads which could have been anywhere between 50 to 100 on a daily basis and once i generated those leads i was you know manually emailing every single person you know with a very similar template but having to go through that process of sending it and then not only that you're having to make sure you follow up on those emails and, and you know and you know make sure none of them slip through, through the net and finding outreach was you know an absolute game changer for me because whereas before I might have spent a couple of hours doing this um you know with something like outreach I was then able to uh, it's quickly import a spreadsheet of, of, of leads and at a click of a button not only send all of those people the initial email but also set up follow-up emails to be sent automatically if those people are replying after a certain amount of time for instance so it means you can set those to one side and not have to worry about it at all until that person has finally replied to you with either a a or an a and you know that that really helps you to organize yourself Um, if if you're in that type of business Mm -hmm. sounds really good um when you um, obviously you set up you left in october did you kind of like validate the business before you left like did you make any sales or was that after it came very close to to that point i think by the time I'd had sort of handed in my notice, we, I'm just trying to think, I think we, 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 the, the site actually went live, um, very close to sort of me leaving. And, you know, there was that uh, period of time when I thought, oh, this is, you know, very scary. Now I've got, you know, this website live and I'm also getting ready to leave. And there, there was very little traffic to the site and very, you know, it was very unlikely that anyone was going to find it in the first few weeks of it being live anyway. But we were, I was starting to try and double up my efforts as far as, you know, doing some work work on the sales floor but also uh, um you know getting my day-to-day job done at Hayes. so i was getting up at stupid hours like half past four and, and and working for a couple of hours before work in the coffee shop across the road before going across to sit at my desk at half past eight and then going home and working again for a few few other hours just to try and start drumming up you know candidates and job seekers for the site and um you know drum up any sort of traffic that i, I possibly could um and then also trying to start doing a tiny bit of early work with with potential clients so i you know had a couple of calls um lined up but nothing was lined up until i actually had physically left because i wanted to obviously make sure i could uh put my full attention to it and, and, and do it properly rather than uh, sort of risk you've, you've got to be very careful obviously if you if you're leaving a role making sure you're, you're not putting yourself in any danger um with your current employer as well and what did it feel like to get that first sale really uh yeah really good actually it was uh it was a bit of a strange sort of feeling because i um again i look back now and i don't know how i managed to do it really because with with, with job boards you've got a sort of a very much a sort of a chicken and egg situation you sort of think well we, i need to have some jobs advertised on the site to be able to to generate applications and candidates who are going to want to visit the site and at the same time i need to have candidates and traffic to the site um and other jobs on the site if people could be prepared to sell put, put their own job on there so you know, being in a position where I, I sell my first job post to a client who can physically see I've got no jobs on the site yet um you know very little traffic I sort of sat there and wondered how I'd even 
managed to, to do it really um <laughs> but i think that again the concept that you sort of sell to someone is very, is very key there and, and in some respects you, you're very lucky sometimes with the first few clients and i think that from, from a client point of view it, it's always wise i think just to be honest with them in terms of where you are um you know being, being up front with the fact that you you are a startup you've just launched and you know being able to offer you know a few other bits and pieces there as you know as safeguards in case something doesn't work out for them is obviously quite important in those early days and you know as time goes on you find you're not having to offer those safeguards you know uh, eventually but you do what you can to, to close that those first few deals and start generating money really one of the traits I super admire in you is your ability just to pick up the phone and I think that's probably what makes all the difference I think a lot of the time people can kind of do the stuff which is undercover where they may be creating the website or they they know what skills or what services they can offer but I think even for me I'm still afraid nowadays just to think well, well this person might benefit me but just being able to pick up that phone like was that a skill you sort of developed or have you always been quite comfortable with that? If I'm honest I'm not I'm not necessarily even the most comfortable person at doing it myself. I think there's that necessity that you have to do it. Um, you know, in those early days, you sort of sit there and think, if this is going to work, um, then I, you absolutely have to pick up that phone and, and call people because if you don't, you won't make any money and, and you don't have enough cash to last you more than a month. If, you know, if it doesn't, so you're either going to sit here three months and you know, do nothing or, or try and make the most of it. So you know, I think if, if people are forced to do it, uh, you know, then they absolutely will. I think the, the issue comes when people are bit too much of a comfort zone. Are there any sort of like books that really stood out to you while you were sort of starting up your business? Yeah, I'm not um I'm not the biggest reader if I'm honest. There's always stuff that you sort of you hear that people set up businesses and uh read lots of books and get lots of inspiration. It's not something I've really sort of got around to doing. When, once you lose that commute to work, you sort of uh you, you sort of don't really tend to find so much time to do reading, but there was one that I did read um, before I left my my, my job. Um, it was called The Lean Startup by Eric Rice, I think it is. Um, R-I-E-S, I believe. Um, that was really useful for me because it talks around, I, I think it, it helps for anyone who's, who's setting up a business on a shoestring budget, sort of looking at, you know, um, setting up a sort of a minimum viable product, something that doesn't necessarily have to look the sexiest thing the world but it's functional and works and and um you know produces results for people and then once you know that that uh is a good concept and does work then then it's about getting up to speed as quickly as possible as far as the aesthetics looks and, and, and adding extra functionality goes and uh i think it's a really important thing for anyone to think about when they're setting up a business um is making sure that the, the need is there and, and that the concept works before you pump too much money into it um you've got you know, companies like Apple who are at the other end of that, um, who can spend months and months and months and maybe years developing products that, you know, when they do finally launch them, they're going to be, you know, generally speaking, perfect and, and pleasing to the eye, et cetera. But, you know, I think as a startup, you need to be in a position whereby you have to validate that product or that concept before you start putting too much money behind it. Um, and again, I've come across a few people from the job board world who have put a lot of money into a, a job board, you know, spent maybe 25000 £30,000 on, on, on getting their website built um, before they've even made a single penny off the back of it. And, you know, it turns out that the, the idea, will, you know, isn't going to work or so, so, so on and so forth. I took a lot of um, advice from that book and I thought actually okay let's let's not worry too much about the aesthetics of the site at the moment let's um you know let's just create something that will will sell as a concept that will work and then as soon as we are generating revenue then we can start looking at okay how do we really make it look like something that is is 
um, a lot more professional now. I think we'd be remiss as well to not ask you, seeing as you're in sales and recruitment, not to ask you, because obviously entrepreneurship takes a bit of sales skill. What's like the killer sales tip you've got for anyone? Uh, I don't, uh, again, I, I, I find it hard because I, I, don't, I don't necessarily class myself as a sort of, you know, Wolf of Wall Street salesy sort of guy who, who does bash the phone. I think, you know, salespeople probably come in a lot of different sort of forms. I see myself, I guess, as someone who um, sells themselves being very realistic with what the results are likely to be. For instance, this is a job board that doesn't necessarily work 100% of the time because no job board does, but, you know, it will still work, you know, eight times out of 10 and, and, and prove to be a lot cheaper over the, you know, the long term. I think but as soon as you start being honest with people, they stop seeing you as a salesperson. You know, the, the last thing you should be doing is picking up the phone and, and trying to pitch something to someone straight away because people's defenses go up as soon as they sense any sort of sales technique or salesperson there. People don't like mm. to be... Um sold to people like to buy yeah and, and and everyone sort of knows that deep deep down i think you know um everyone's like the uh, biggest nightmare is you know that stereotypical you know thought of you know a, 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 either a, a phone salesman or you know, that sort of used car salesman trying to sort of pick something to them and i think it's you know as soon as you take yourself out of that then it becomes a lot easier to sell and one thing i always find when i'm, when I'm speaking to potential clients on the phone is you know as soon as you're thrown a, a sort of a curveball there rather than trying to talk your way out of it or you know lie to them it, it, you're a lot better off being very upfront and honest, honest with them and as soon as you you do that it's a remarkable how those sort of barriers come down and you end up having a, a very honest conversation with them and they become a lot warmer to you um because they're not being sold to and, and you know you you end up a lot more as a uh, a consultant rather than a than a salesperson just trying to pitch their product and also we've we've got a I mean, we've got sort of three different levels of, of pricing for our product for instance and um you know what i normally find is you know, rather just trying to you know focus on pitching the, the highest end product to someone if they don't need it i'll often you know go for that middle ground and, and people People often comment you know, that they, they do appreciate that, and you know, again, that's something that I think people make people a lot more likely to buy off you. Don't start trying to pitch just the highest, you know, highest end product to someone if they don't need it. Really think about what they do need and what's going to work for them. Um, so we're going to have to let you go in a minute because you're a busy, busy guy. But we've got two questions that we ask everyone that comes on the show. The show is called yep. Powerful Nonsense. So the two questions are: What's the most powerful piece of advice you've ever been given? And what's the biggest load of nonsense you've ever heard? Oh, they put me on the put me on the spot now. <laughs> <laughs> we do it to everyone; it's fine. <laughs> uh, I think the the best piece of advice, again, I, I think I've sort of almost alluded to um, earlier on, is 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 to believe in in, in what you're selling. You know, it, it, you see it all the time when salespeople that you know if they're not getting on the phone or they're not you know don't feel com- comfortable picking up the phone. Usually, it's because either they don't understand what they're selling or they don't and believe in it enough and I think if you truly believe in what you're selling and you believe that it will have a positive impact on on the, you're at that prospective client then you will want to pick up the phone and speak to them and you will be able to sell it to them so I think but you know having that belief in what you're selling is, is key and if you don't have that you know find a way to have that belief in it um, and then get to grips with it and, and then you'll find a way to, to sell it in terms of the biggest load of nonsense I've ever heard it probably comes back to setting up your own business and that sort of viewpoint that a lot of people have from the outside of thinking okay you know he sits in his pants playing you know the xbox all day or whatever the case is you know people don't realize i think that it is a, a huge amount of work for people even if they do sometimes make it look very easy there's a lot of work that goes into it 
And, you know, I think it's, um, you know, it is a lot of nonsense that, you know, anyone running a business is, is finding it very easy. I think one, you know, one day you might, you might find it easier and you might find time to play golf and so on and so forth. But a lot of these guys are still working behind the scenes, you know, late at night and so on and so forth. So I think it's, um, it's a big uh, thing that sort of people make it out to be. Good stuff. So um, if people want to find out more about your website and what you do, or maybe even get in contact with you personally to thank you for sharing some knowledge today, how can they find you? Yeah, so I mean, one of the biggest, uh, easiest ways to find me is through something like LinkedIn. So um, Adam Horn, um, or, or just take a look at the website, um, www.thesalesfloor.co.uk. Anyone out there looking for sales jobs, definitely take a look. And any potential clients out there maybe looking for salespeople, then definitely take a look and, um, and get in touch. Good stuff. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Adam. Really appreciate Thanks, guys. that. And it's really great to see stuff from that sort of sales perspective. We've not actually had someone who sort of set up a software company. It's quite a non-techie. So it's really interesting to see your see what you had to say, really. Yeah, no, everyone, everyone learned from my mistakes, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> that's all we want. <laughs> cool, man. Well, enjoy the rest right. of your day, and um, yeah, we'll be in touch soon. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, guys. Cheers. Take care. Take care. Thanks, Adam. Bye-bye. Huge thank you to Adam Horn for that great interview. Good guy, good guy. Joining us here on Powerful Nonsense. We will leave links to all of his contact details and stuff in the show notes, so check those out. But we have more big deals for you on this. This is like Are we gonna become a bargain bucket episode of Powerful <laughs> Nonsense. But we've teamed up with Junior, who has been on the show many, many times. Teamed up with him. And uh, we have put together a nice deal for his upcoming event, which I believe he mentioned on the last interview that he did. It's called The Great Escape. Kind of ties into his book that he's releasing pretty soon. Yes, absolutely. So it's a whole one day event which we may very well be at ourselves. I think so. Which would be kind of cool. Uh, to go to the event, you can go to powerfulnonsense.com forward slash the great escape. Okay. The event would normally be £298, but if you put in the promotional code powerful, we'll give you £100 off. Nearly said 100% then, not 100%, £100 off. So you get it for £198 instead. Great bargain. Check it out. powerfulnonsense.com forward slash the great escape. And we will see you next time. See you later.